Let's sort of see how good we're doing of getting ready for Christmas. How many of you already been buying some gifts? Raise your hand. How many of you braved the stores for Black Friday? Okay, we'll pray for you in just a few moments. Uh, so a rough time. We love, we love giving gifts. I was reading a, a Christmas book the other day by Max Licato called Because of Bethlehem. And he writes a letter on behalf of us men to all women who have to buy gifts for us men. So I'd like you to pay attention to this. Dear ladies, we know you mean well. We know you think you know best. But enough is enough. We have suffered for too long. Having shared our pain with one another, we husbands hereby step out of the shadows and open our hearts. This year as you shop for Christmas, please don't buy us what we need. We know we need to smell better and look nicer. We, we know you like us in warm pajamas and, and new underwear. But we do not know what to say when we open these gifts. How do you fake enthusiasm over house slippers? How can you look happy holding a nose trimmer? We have lied too long. For the sake of the integrity of Christmas morning, we offer this guidance. As you look at the potential gift, ask yourself these questions. Can he play with it? Does it swing, bounce, shuffle, cast, or roll? Can you find a trigger, a, a, a rip cord, a grip, or a stick shift? Does it consume oil or dog food? Does it have a big screen and remote control? If it does, buy it. Doesn't matter he already has one. This is no time to be practical. We're considering man's apparel. Ask yourself, is it brown and green and rain resistant? You can't lose any garment that is. Realizing that many women prefer to shop anywhere but the gun department, we offer these two questions. Does it make him look cute? Does it make him look like a hunk? If the clothes make him look cute, drop it immediately. If it makes him look like a hunk, buy two. When all else fails, ask yourself this question. Can he eat it? The, the question is not, would you eat it? Or do other humans eat it? Or is it edible? Don't occupy yourself with such trivial matters. The question is, can he eat it? Anytime the answer is affirmative, consider yourself on safe ground. In closing, we extend this offer. If you'll buy us what we want, we will do the same for you. Without revealing any de details, let me tell you this. A large vacuum cleaner company has offered a group discount. And you thought we weren't sensitive. No need to thank us. You're a man. Well, gift giving is not always easy, is it? And to find the right gift, sometimes we, we search and search and you still know by the expression on the face you haven't found the right gift. But as we go back to the first Christmas, I want to tell you about the perfect gift that was given. There were a lot of gifts brought by the, the Magi and, you know, the, the gold and frankincense and burr. But there was one gift that was perfect because it absolutely fit the baby the gift was being given to. And it was the gift of worship. Luke chapter 2, read with me what the angels did. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, 
and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. You see, my friends, I believe why the angels gave the best gift is because they knew Jesus the best. When you know somebody well, you know what they like. And they've been praising him for a long time. Revelation 4, 8 says, Day and night they worship him, saying, Holy, holy, holy. They gave him the perfect gift, the gift of worship. And today I hope that you're here to give him that gift. Don't miss the birth of this new king. And don't forget to give him the perfect gift. What is worship? Let's think about that just for a moment. The English word worship simply means to ascribe worth. It's any time that you stop and you turn your heart to heaven and you say to God, you are worthy. You're worthy of everything I am and everything that I can give. Other words that we use to do with worship is to glorify God, to bring glory to him, to magnify God. Well, you say, how can I magnify God? How can I make God any bigger? Well, you can't make him bigger, but you can recognize him as bigger. A few weeks ago, Stephanie and I were blessed to, to go to Florence, Italy. In the middle of the tour we were on, we went to where Michelangelo's David was on display. I would show you a picture, but I'd get flack, all right? And it's, it, it's amazing, amazing when you turn the corner in that art gallery and you look down that long hall and you see this imposing figure from Michelangelo. We had a great tour guide leader, and they gave us some details that I thought were quite fascinating. For centuries on these tours, they had told people that Michelangelo's David was 14 and a half feet tall. He is really big and imposing. But about five years ago, they were cleaning and repairing parts of the statue, and someone decided to measure again. And they measured, and they found out they were off. Not a little bit, not a few inches, not a half a foot. Michelangelo's David is actually 17 feet tall. That's crazy. How can you be off two and a half feet for centuries? And guys, when it comes to God, you can't make him any bigger, but you can start measuring right. You can make him bigger in your eyes by looking at who he is. And that's what worship is to do for us. Somebody say, well, buddy, I, I, I know you're preaching on worship today, but you know, that's just not my thing. I'm just, I'm just not into it. You know, I know some people I can look across the aisle, they're into worship, but I'm not into worship. Well, let me say this. The question is not, this morning, will you worship? The question is, where will you direct your worship? We all worship. We all worship. We may not be worshiping the right thing, but we all worship. I know my bud Tim Lee will not like this, but a few years ago at LSU in Baton Rouge, they had these big billboards around town advertising football season with a picture of the Tiger Stadium with the words, we worship here. And many of us, I've said for years, are guilty of being what I call Seventh-day Adventists. We worship on Saturday. And some of us, we worship big time there a whole lot more than we do on Sunday. And that's a crying shame. Because when you substitute something else for the worship of God, you always come out as the loser. Because worship indicates what you look to for your fulfillment. 
What do you think is going to make your life meaningful? What is it that really gets you on your feet excited? Is it your career? Is it your marriage? Is it your children? Is it your education? Is it the shape your body's in? Now, guys, anytime we trust an object or a thing or a person to give our life meaning, we walk away disappointed because nobody can do what only God can do. And that's the problem with idols. It's that good things are made into ultimate things that disappoint us greatly. And and all these impostures are not bad things. It could be food. It could be money. It could be football. It could be sex. It could be success. It could be power. It could be achievement. Now, nothing I've mentioned there are wrong in the right place with the right dosage. But they'll never fulfill you like only God can fulfill you. Because God is the only being worthy of worship. He's the only one who is equipped to truly fill you up. And let me say this. That's why what we're doing here this morning is so very important. Because when we really worship, if we participate this morning in true worship, it protects us from false gods. So every Sunday when we gather, my friends, if it really happens, if it really happens that that we recognize how big God is, how marvelous God is, how wonderful God is, how good God is, then I'm a lot less prone to go out and worship a false god. So the angels got it right. My challenge this morning is that we get it right and that we give the perfect gift, that we worship the new king. Let me get practical here. Let's talk about four ways that you need to worship him this morning. In just a few moments, we're going to have a great block of worship. And I want you to be, I want you to be ready. So I'm going to get real specific here. Number one, worship thankfully. The passage we've been using all morning that was above the doors when you walked in here. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Sometimes we say, you know what? You know, I, I, just, can't, I just can't connect with worship. I, it just doesn't, it doesn't work for me. You know, I come in church and my mind just wanders. Here's the key to overcoming that. It's really easy. It's Thanksgiving. And that's why I felt this morning is the perfect morning for great worship because hopefully over the last few days, you've actually been thinking about how blessed you are. And if you want to walk in those doors, I like the way the message translation puts it. You enter into worship with the password. Remember the old show password? And the password is the little ding. The psalmist gives the password. The password to entering those doors and worshiping is thank you. So you've got to come with a thankful heart. Focusing not on the list of things that are wrong in your life, but the things that are are right in your life. So you worship thankfully. Second, you worship verbally. I like Hebrews 13, verse 15. Through Jesus, therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. What is it? The fruit of lips that openly profess his name. We're so enthralled with God that we have got to say it. We've got to openly profess it. That's what happens in worship. Back in the 80s, there was a 
a, a famous country song called, You Are Always On My Mind. Anybody remember that song? If you listen closely to it, it's a rather foolish song. What the singer is actually saying to his sweetheart is, I hardly ever say it. I don't show it by my actions. I don't give you gifts. But you can rest assured, you are always on my mind. Now, women, tell me, how many of you would that work for you? You you would look at your man, you'd say, you never told me, you never gave me flowers, you never said kind words, you never complimented me, but I'm wonderful because I know I'm always on your mind. Just doesn't work. And let me tell you this, guys, it doesn't work with God either. There's got to be words to express. Do you love God? Let him know it. He's been good to you? Tell him. Are you thankful? Say it out loud, in public, unashamed. I love the famous preacher John Wesley. Here's what he said about worship and song. L- listen. He said, we are to sing lustily. Say that word with me. Lustily. Hardly ever do we use that word in good context, right? I'm sort of nice to see it can be good. We are to sing lustily and with good courage. Be aware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep, okay? And you fit that bill right now, half dead or half asleep. He says, be wary of that. Be no more afraid of your voice now, nor ashamed of it being heard than when you sung the songs of Satan. What's he saying? Here's the context. When you were wild and partying, and you got a little tipsy in the bar, and you started singing lustily, what a shame if you got out of there, and you're not tipsy, and you're in the presence of God, and you don't sing as lustfully with God as you did in the bar. So, so sing verbally. Say it. Number three, worship in community. Back in Luke chapter 2, there's the the heavenly host. It's a community. It's a great community. Now listen, every generation, this is nothing new, and some of you probably hear it and think it's new, has had the people say, you know, I really love Jesus, but I don't want church. I, I think Jesus is really cool, but these people really get on my nerves. I like what somebody told me after first service. said, that's like saying, Jesus, I really love you, but I think your bride is dog ugly. No, you, you can't do that. Now, it's easier in some ways to love Jesus, but what Jesus wanted to create was a community of such diversity The people who came from different races and different ethnic backgrounds and different political backgrounds and social backgrounds and sports backgrounds, you name it, could somehow gather together and God would be not 14 and a half feet tall. He would be 17. He would be so big that every difference we had was insignificant. And so when the community gathers, we worship together. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, when some young Jewish Christians are sort of getting tired of the persecution and starting to skip church, he says, you guys need to get back to church, and you need to be more inventive about what you do in church to spur one another on. And then one more point here. You're to worship demonstrably. You're to demonstrate it. Psalm 63, 4. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. You see, I I like my favorite definition of worship is this. 
Worship is the response of all that I am to all that he is. Someone added details. Worship is the response of all that I am, head, heart, and hands, to all that he is. It's a response. Guys, if you're struggling with worship, it's not that you've got to hike yourself up to worship. It's that you need to bring yourself in the presence of God and become so big on him that it's just going to come out. And my friends, when you get there, you're going to express it in all kinds of different ways. Some say, buddy, now you're making me comfortable because when I see people lifting hands or I see somebody bowing down in the middle of a service or, I, you know, I, I think it's just for show. You know, they're, they're just trying to draw, I've heard this all my, they're just trying to draw attention to themselves. Now, listen to me, guys. If we're going to cut out everything that can be abused, we're cutting everything out. I could be up here preaching right now just to get attention for myself. Jeremy could lead worship just to get attention to himself. You could lead a prayer just to get, any of that could be done with wrong motives, but we don't cut those things out. Just because something's abused doesn't mean it shouldn't be properly used. And when you read your Bible, I'm telling you, you can't get away from these physical manifestations of worship. Let me give you five of them where people worship demonstrably. Number one, people kneel. Psalm 95, 6. They just at times you just, you kneel before God out of reverence. The one we're talking about, people lift their hands. Psalms 134. I like how someone was putting, me, putting it to me, is lifting hands is like when you walk in and you've been at work and your little toddler's there and they just stick up their hands. They just want to be held by daddy or mommy. They just want to be with you. Or you Stand. We probably don't do enough of that in our service. Will we stand out of reverence for God? Or Psalms 47, clap your hands, all you nations. Or probably one of the most common is people would prostrate their bodies before God. Genesis 17 says, Abraham, when he saw God and heard about this covenant, he fell on his face before God. You say, buddy, that's a weird one. Well, you must not have been reading your Bible. Because it's, it's all the way through. Almost every time someone really sees how big God is, they fall on their face before him. You say, buddy, now you're, um, now you're getting to me now. Um, let, me, let me object to this for a moment. Every passage you just gave me, buddy, is from the Old Testament. And you know we don't believe in that. <laughs> Listen to me. Fill in this blank. The worship hymnal of the first church was what? Anybody know the answer? The Psalms. So what did they do when they get to the Psalm that says clap or raise your hands or kneel? They do what the old churches used to do years ago. They mark it with the big X in the Psalm book, you know. Can't sing that one. (laughs) Some of you been in those churches? No, my friends. They couldn't sing it without doing it. You say, well, buddy, you know, I grew up Church of Christ, or I grew up Baptist, man, and we just don't do that kind of stuff. I mean, my hands are like stuck. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just like glue. Sometimes I feel it, but I don't have good connection between my hands and my brain. It just, it just, it just won't happen. I, 
Buddy, I, you know, you can say all you want to today about it being in the Bible, but I can't do it. Yes, you can. I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to object. Let me talk to you Church of Christ folks for a moment. You can do it. I've seen you do it. You say, you've not seen me do it. Yes, I have. I've been to ACA on Friday nights to a football game. And, and some of you dudes, you clap, you raise your hands, you shout. I mean, some of the, the most Church of Christ people in this town that think what I'm saying right now is crazy, man. They'll go to a football game and do it all. The thing about crazy, isn't it a little crazy to go, I can go to a football game and totally lose myself and express myself that way, and then I come to what really counts, what's really important to, to the worship of God, and I can't do that? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You do it. We do it over things that excite us. Because we're not talking about something spooky here. We're not talking about something weird. We're talking about just a response. And one day you will do it. You say, buddy, you, you are being a little bit too assertive here. Let me tell you what's going to happen. One day you're going to get a phone call from a doctor that tells you the person you love the most has got cancer. And you're going to be in your bedroom and you're going to fall on your face before God. Or you're going to be on the phone you know, walking through your house and maybe you're in the kitchen and somebody calls you and tells you something awesome and you go, yes! Or you're going to know, you know, that you just went bankrupt and you fall before God. Or you lost that baby and you can only do to just lay on the floor and weep. I mean, we most of us have been there. We've done that. And here's what just really struck me this week thinking about this. We can all do it, and most of us will do it or have done it. But normally we do it when something really bad happens. Here's the challenge today. Why don't you do it because of what good has happened? Why don't you do it because we serve a good, good God? Why don't you express it when something good's going on, Instead of waiting to a tragedy when you finally fall before God or lift your hands to God, do it now. And God will bless you. My friend, let me say this to conclude. Worship will change you. Worship will work wonders. When you worship, everything changes. One of my favorite stories in history is from the Christmas of 1915. War I was... At its worst state, it was trench warfare. America had not joined the war. There were British and French in one trench and Germans in the other. And it was a stalemate and there was disease and cold and freezing and wetness. It was just awful. And Christmas Eve, though, 1915, on the German side of the line, the German soldiers, for whatever reason, just started singing a Christmas carol. And when the British heard it, they started, and they could hear each other. And for most of the night, they went back and forth. The same people have been trying to kill each other, same people throwing hand grenades, same people shooting at each other, went back and forth almost all night long, singing one Christmas hymn after another, until finally, about dawn, they got out of their trenches, and they met in the middle, and they gave gifts. The German gave Beer and sausages and spiked helmets. And the British gave corned beef and biscuits and tunic buttons. They exchanged gifts. And right in the middle of that awful war, a soccer game 
broke out. The battlefield became a soccer field. And it all began with worship. And this morning, if you're down and missing someone, honor a God who loves you. If you're lonely and, and, and you, you feel all alone, would you worship a God who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you? If you feel rejected, would you come before a God who says, I won't ever reject you? If this morning you come in here and you're happy and you're thankful, would you just release it? For the next few moments, we're just going to, the, the response to this message is to praise him. Wholeheartedly, openly, physically, praise him. However you're wired, praise him. And if in the middle of this praise, you need us to pray for something in this service, please come forward. But what I invite you to do is to stand and worship him with everything within you for everything he is. Let's sing.